Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, a podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century? I'm your host, Brett Kane. I'm a licensed massage therapist and mindfulness meditation instructor. And joining us today to help us answer that question is Irene Rockwell of the Five Wisdoms Institute. Irene is an internationally recognized Buddhist teacher, author, coach, and trainer for the past 30 years. Her books are The Five Wisdom Energies, A Buddhist Way of Understanding Personalities, and Emotions and Relationships, and Natural Brilliance. She has taught in spiritual and personal growth venues worldwide, and in 2002, she actually founded the Five Wisdoms Institute. Uh, she was formerly a professional dancer, and then she trained in contemplative psychotherapy, authentic leadership, and tantric Buddhism. Today, we're going to be diving into her core teaching and one that I have found incredibly transformative, and that is the five wisdom energies of Tibetan Buddhism, also known as the five Buddha families. So this teaching is all about the way that we perceive the world. It's about reading the energy of the situation. In more specific terms, there are five distinct energies that once you learn to see them and understand the, the textures of them, it completely transforms the way that you interface with your reality. This is a really beautiful and honestly just radical teaching on the nature of relationship and who we are, the foods we eat, the landscapes we find ourselves in. And this is actually found within the tantric Buddhist uh, system. So in Tibetan Buddhism, that's called the Vajrayana, or the diamond-like or the indestructible vehicle of teaching. And the Vajrayana is all about seeing the sacred in the mundane. On every single moment is a rich, raw, um, dynamic opening of experience that we can actually use to ride the current of into a uh, expanded state of awareness that isn't confused or neurotic. So for me, I found this teaching uh, while I was doing my meditation training um, with David Nickter, and I then took a weekend course on it. I've read her book, uh, The Five Wisdom Energies, which is kind of like the, the introduction to this that she then expands on in her following works. And the fact that she gave me some of her time is incredible. Like I said, she is a lineage holder uh, here in the West for this ancient, I mean, this this practice, this way of viewing the world is thousands of years old and she is the the torchbearer here in the west uh, with the five wisdoms institute she actually does a lot of trainings that help people get into this and utilize it for their professional and creative lives and uh, it's an honor i mean that's honestly my favorite thing about doing this show um, also when my phone rings is another favorite um <laughs> but what my favorite thing is is that uh, some people who I would have never dreamed in a million years are agreeing to come on and talk with me. And Irene is one of those folks that I am just, I'm honored and I'm humbled and I'm so gracious to be able to open my platform up for this teaching to have a presence and to introduce you to it because you don't need to be a Buddhist in order to explore this. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be looking at how to read the energy of the moment uh, what the different energy signatures are. There's kind of a presentation starting us off describing the five different distinct energies. And then we, we kind of go more into a back and forth on how to integrate this and explore some of the subtle nuances with how this shows up in our lives. And yeah, this 
oh, this might be one of my favorite episodes, but I mean, this is one of my favorite teachings I've came across, so I am very biased. So um, if you want to support the show, if you're really enjoying what we're doing here, this weird cross-pollination of modern and ancient and old and new and science and spirituality and activism, if you're really liking this tapestry that we're weaving here, then uh, you can support the show by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a review. You can subscribe over on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, doing all those. We also do have a Patreon now. Uh, once I get a consistent amount of listeners, I'm going to start releasing bonus content. So there's going to be bonus episodes uh, when I have ads. There will be ad-free. Um, as you can see, if you're on the YouTube, we are doing video now. So that's cool. A um, lot, of, lot of room to be growing into and... Uh, yeah, the quality of guests that I'm getting, I, I'm astounded and um, bewildered, <laughs> if you will. I'm really happy with these conversations. I'm enjoying this process immensely. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for joining me on this adventure. Uh, please uh, drink some tea, do some stretches, and open your heart for Irene Rockwell. This is an incredible conversation and an incredible teaching. So here we go. Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. I just want to start by saying thank you so much for your time. It's genuinely an honor to have you on. And thank you, Brett, for doing this amazing uh, project of getting wisdom out in the world. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely gravely needed in this current uh, socioeconomic time, you know, and a big part of this podcast is addressing the current moment of things, you know, the 21st century gives us so many unique stressors that we've never really had to deal with, especially yeah. with technology. And yeah. um, the reason I wanted to reach out to you is I just found your work this year, as I was saying before we were recording, um, by studying under your friend David Nickturn. And as soon as I heard this teaching of the five wisdom energies, I immediately, it, it, really, really dramatically shifted the way that I perceive the world in a way that not many teachings have done for me in this concise of a way. Mm -hmm. So to start us off, I'm just kind of curious of your journey into understanding these energies. And what was this like for you to kind of, did you also have that big download moment of like, oh my God, like this is a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what was that like? Yeah, well, I've been a dancer all my life. And I think that has a lot to do with why I resonate so much with the idea that the world is about energy, that there's an energetic dimension. So in 1972, let's go back there, I was sitting in a friend's uh, apartment in Boulder, Colorado, where Trungpa Rinpoche was teaching, and I opened a book, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, one of his Trungpa Rinpoche's first um, books, uh, and he is my uh, root teacher, uh, my core teacher, and it was talking about the world was full of energy, and it applied to humans, you know, people, and phenomena, everything, the weather, the, the landscapes, you know, what's the difference between an airport and uh, a, a meadow? What's the difference between a person who's very agitated and, and um, tense 
and a person who's mellow and relaxed and welcoming. So this did a lot for me and I just took to it. I had just yeah. uh, finished a, some choreography called, uh, well, it was about a animals and just really um, getting into the whole physical expression of what a prairie dog feels like, you know, like that, and a lion coming in for the kill, and flocks of birds, you know, at dawn, you know, so um, um, it just, that was my personal experience, and then I, I got these teachings from Trungpa Rinpoche, and then I was at Naropa as a student in 1979, um, actually, I think it was in 1979 that I first um, made contact, not 72. And um, I started, you know, um, studying with uh, teachers there. In particular, Marvin Casper was a teacher who was, you know, teaching this a lot. He's now passed. Um, and I it just, I had three interviews with Trungpa Rinpoche and... You know, in the last one, I said, you know, or at some point I said, I, you know, I'm really interested in the five wisdoms. And, um, you know, what should I do? And he said, go ahead. You know, and that's 30 years later, I have gone ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and um, my first uh, a friend very insightfully said, why don't you write a book? And so I did. Uh, the five wisdom energies, um, and it's it's about personalities, which don't get solidified so much as understanding the full spectrum of colors of energy you each of us have that we're not limited to just being able to be functional in one of them. It's um, per, uh, pers personalities, emotions. Emotions are a big part. Um, of this work and relationships so personalities emotions and relationships it's really dynamite work and um, now I have since so my book first book came out in 2002 2006 I established um, what I then called wisdoms at work now it's just simply five wisdoms training um, and I started that in Paris and Amsterdam. How audacious of me to just jump across the <laughs> pond and go, oh, here I am. Let's do this. Yeah. So it worked. And um, now I do basically online trainings, five wisdoms trainings online. And there are six modules. And, um, you know, we, we start out with an in-depth understanding um, Everybody gets to an in-depth understanding of what their particular mix is. And I'm going to, in a minute, I'll tell you what the menu is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then in the second module, it's all about emotions, and I'll get into that later. And in the third module, it's about relationships. So those I call the personal development modules, and then the second um Three modules are, are professional development, you know, understanding your life purpose, how you engage effectively using the five wisdoms, and then what I call a call to action, getting into the world with this. How can you affect 
change in the world. So getting back to personalities, unless you want to interrupt me or ask something. I was just going to reaffirm that when I first read through this and was really feeling into these teachings, because it wasn't something as much that I could intellectualize, you have to kind of feel it with your heart. And for me, like the experience that I had, it was kind of corrosive to my solid sense of self. And that I started to view my emotions more as kind of like elemental winds rather than this like, I am this way because of this. Yep. It, 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 the way it just, everything gets a little bit more rocky and it, it's just so powerful. But please continue. Yeah. Well, let me just say something about energy because energy and is this, in, in the Buddhist understanding, there are three levels, to make it simple, of reality. There's a level of reality that's concrete, phenomenal world, consensus reality, that's a table, that's a, sky, a, a cloud in the sky, that's a tree. We sort of have some understanding of the, of the of phenomena at a material level. Then there is this energetic level, which is very mysterious, but also conveys uh, language, like a tree that, uh, sorry, let's just take up a, a table, a table that is a wood table, as opposed to, in contrast with, um, say, a metal table. They radiate very different energies, yeah? Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's this energetic realm that is very, can be very vivid and very informing and very provocative too because sometimes energy is subtle and sometimes it is extremely bold like a tsunami or a, you know a, a thunderstorm um, so that is the energetic dimension the third dimension uh, is um, the absolute which is open it's it's mm -hmm. it's uh, all accommodating and it contains everything else. These are the kayas, right? The These are the kayas the in terms okay. of, of, of Buddhist understanding, yeah. Okay. Um, in my work with people, I call them the three modes. And mm -hmm. in the back of my book, I have, you know, the, the, the body mode, the speech mode, and the mind mode. And they're basically, you know, phenomena, Speech is more about expression. And then uh, mind is sort of your mental, mental ideas, your, your concepts, your, your, your view of who you are and your view of the world. And that's often, I mean, it's, it's sort of self-secret, but it's often accessed through body and speech, meaning that if somebody dresses in very, uh, flamboyant way and walks with a big stride. Um, they have a certain energy. Let's just call them the rotten energy, the yellow energy, and their expression. They take up a lot of space. You know, they 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 they, they can do a shaggy dog story that goes on forever. They're full of themselves <laughs> uh, in a neurotic way. So let's since I've touched on one of them, let me. Uh, lay out all of them at this point. Please do. Yeah, so the first one, 
I'm going to start with it, and it's actually, in some ways, the hardest for us to understand because it's kind of background and invisible. And that we call the Buddha energy, and its essence is spaciousness. I like talking about the essence of each of these energies. It's spacious, it's accommodating, it's vast, it's timeless. It's so spacious that is beyond any idea of space that we have. And that one is, uh, and let me just say that each of these has a neurotic or um, a confused aspect. Neuro neurosis is sort of, you know, sort of a, what, a psychological word, but it's, it's basically being confused and dense and not being able to get out of your own way. And then it has a, a wisdom side, a, a side that is full of your sense of being a wholesome, good person. So that's what's, we'll get to that when we get into emotions a little more, why these two sides are so um, important to understand. They're, they're equal and reciprocal in a certain way. So when this spacious quality, uh, the way it moves into its neurosis, and they all do this, is when you self-identify. In other words, in their wisdom, these energies are self-existing. They're just there. Space is there. When you start thinking of my space, you shut down. And with this Buddha energy, uh, space becomes too much. There's too much space. And so you get triggered. You get threatened by that very thing that is wisdom. And you shut down. You go blind, deaf, and dumb. You withdraw. You retreat. You don't care. Uh, let someone else do it. Um, it will pass anyway. Who cares? Um, you know, that kind of just someone who is very withdrawn. And, and it's actually that withdrawal is actually has a lot of wisdom in it. Um, what I've uh, discovered is that the, this Buddha energy seems like it's um, in its withdrawal could be seen as neurotic, but actually you don't always have to answer the phone. You don't always have to listen to the news. There's incredible intelligence in this fundamental ignoring which this energy has. So mm. that's, that's the good news. Yeah. Um, so the second one is called the Vajra energy, and its essence is clarity. It just, uh, it's, it's, its wisdom is a mirror-like clarity. And this mirror-like clarity is like you, you reflect what's there without any bias. Like a clear mirror, or I like the image of a, a mountain lake, or a lake where it's just absolutely still, and it reflects everything that around, that's around it, the trees, the mountains, whatever, and it's just clear. And the wisdom of this energy is that it um, has no bias. So it just calls it like it is, without bias, 
without any kind of self-serving. And people who have a lot of this energy are like, you know, CEOs, uh, people with a big vision for the world. Trungpa Rinpoche, my teacher, um, what I loved about him was many, many things. But, you know, CEOs have a five-year plan. He had the 400-year plan. (laughs) So... So it's like huge. And his, his big vision was creating enlightened society. Well, why stop at anything? You know, just go for what it would be like to live in a world where everybody uh, has a fundamental understanding of goodness, a profound goodness, not, you know, Sunday go to meeting goodness, not walk your grandmother across the street goodness, but this this profundity of, of reality that is good and have, uh, I, I'm describing enlightened society here, and uh, it, all acts are based on kindness and benefiting others. Wouldn't that be great? It would be so good. Yeah, so good. So this is, I'm talking about how big a vision um, people with, with a, a lot of clear Vajra energy can be. It could also be very much like, uh, you know, I'm someone who very much plans. I sort of plan my life. If I have to do anything, I get like I'm a trainer uh, in personal and professional development. I love creating curriculum. Now, everybody goes at their own pace, and I go, okay, you're not quite there yet. <laughs> Maybe next year. But there's this sense of having the big vision, you know, just like I just laid out six modules, you know, going from, well, who am I anyway, to I'm going to act in the world. Um, so that's the trajectory of, of my training, which in a very small way with a small group of people, and I like keeping my group small because I work very personally with people. Um, um, you know, in my small way, I, I, I contribute. Okay, so how this one gets into a mess of conflicting emotions, etc., stuck place. I call them shine place and stuck place. This one gets mm. stuck because it says, uh, it's my vision. I'm the one that sees clearly. Therefore, I'm right. Ooh, hoo, hoo. <laughs> I'm right. That makes you wrong. And so this, in its um, self-referencing, which is where it goes into its stuck place, is um, all about, I'm right, we should. Should is a big one in it. We should do this. It's based on principles and tremendous sense of bureaucracy and policy. You know, we're going to do this right. Uh, So it's very rigid. It's very withdrawn interpersonally, because it just sort of stays in a conceptual mode. Um, and um, that's where its neurosis is. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like, would you say that when an energy kind of congests into its neurotic qualities, it, it kind of closes itself off to the dance and the interplay of the entire energetic system and it's just like kind of high on itself right exactly well put brett very well put i call it uh 
what I call it making yourself stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to do it too. Yeah. It, it, yeah. When you self-reference, you basically become more stupid. <laughs> yeah, wow. A little blunt, but <laughs> but I like. I, I think bluntness is kind of needed every now and again. That's yeah. I'm starting yeah. to see some Vajra in you a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. A yeah. lot of people think I'm. A lot of people think I'm Vajra. Because I really, I was married to a, a very Vajra man for 22 years, and I learned a lot rubbed off on me. I learned how to teach the Dharma a lot from him. And then I graduated, and I only do it my way. <laughs> but yeah. to a real Vajra, I'm a wimp. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah. there are certain ways that Vajras feel really comfortable, and I can do some of that. I'm mostly in Vajra about teaching. Mm. In other, anyway, enough about me. Um, <laughs> so I was starting to talk about the third one, Ratna. Ratna, um, which means uh, jewel, um, is this, the wisdom is this tremendous sense of equanimity. Uh, equanimity because it has nothing more to desire. It has the sense of abundance and richness and a, a sense of being completely fulfilled and satisfied. So you radiate a sense of equanimity. Mm. And people with a lot of this uh, quality are come from this place and they're just naturally very generous and they're naturally very um, hospitable. You know, come into my house, there's the cookie jar. Oh, I just baked a cake and it's over on the counter there. Uh, why don't you stop in for dinner anytime? It doesn't matter when, I always have a lot of food, it's okay, just come. You know, it's that sense of just, um, it accommodates everyone. It makes no sense, and so it has also a sense of equality. Equanimity and equality. Anybody is as good as anybody else. There's also a sense of equality around experience. In other words, uh, bad ex what we call bad experiences, painful experiences, are rich. Oh, wow, this is, this is heavy duty here. This is a really heavy duty experience. Um, or, you know, something that's joyful. They're equal. You embrace, you embrace the world. And this one is, is, is huge. This one is, is like, they're, they're tremendous um, um, builders of, of teams and communities because they welcome everybody. Um, they tend to... Um, have a lot of resource, be very resourceful. Oh, you want to write a book about women? Oh, come into my library. I have 10 books here on women's studies. You know, uh, it's that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm picturing people as I... Yeah, I know <laughs> as, I am too. I'm like, oh, I know these people. My yeah, grandma. I know these people, yeah. <laughs> so Vajra and Ratna combined, oh boy, you have a really... Um, a, a person who has got this huge mind... And they fill it with a tremendous amount of knowledge. 
Um, so the way this one gets in trouble, you'll be curious to know, and a lot of people get into trouble with this, is when they start self-referencing, they, 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 they feel that they don't have enough, that everything out there is abundant and all my friends have, you know, things that, that I don't have and um, I just don't have enough. So um, just to, to sort of give a very poignant example, uh, the mother wound. There are many, many people from suffer, suffer from what's, what's been called the mother wound. And that is not getting enough motherly attention, which is mm. absolutely important to a baby, a toddler. Just that warm, embracing, I'm here, I'm, I, I, I kiss you, I hug you, I'm unconditionally in, in love with you. And when you don't get that, okay, and I'm going into early childhood trauma here, when you don't get that, you basically feel that you're not good enough. And that is something that many, many people suffer with in this day and age. But even leaving trauma aside, there is uh, this sense of not, not, not having enough. So you become needy, you become greedy, you, um, you know, want everything in your surroundings. It creates, uh, you know, I'm a psychotherapist as well, so, you know, I know it cr creates eating disorders. And the mother wound and eating disorders are, you know, like, really linked. Um, so that's a rather extreme example. Um, and how you um, sort of heal from the mother wound is you don't want to, like, get everything you want you begin to see that the richness is inside of you. Yeah, and I'll get to that again when we talk with, uh, uh, about emotions. Um, so it's on the one hand expansive and accommodating, and on the other hand you can just narrow yourself into this place of po what we call poverty mentality. Needy and greedy and never enough, never, never enough. You never feel you get enough because, you know, way back you didn't. Right, right. So the next yeah. uh, question? No, 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 yeah, no, go ahead. Okay, so the next one, the fourth one is Padma. And um, Padma is what everybody wants to be. <laughs> it's like there are a lot of wannabe Padmas. <laughs> yeah. And this, this energy is about passion. That's its essence. And by passion, I mean sense of joining, merging, connecting with other. And other could be a person, which is so familiar to us, whether the passion's there or not there, um, both sides. It could be your, your work. It could be an artist, just like being passionate about um, their work or, you know, a CEO loving to envision um, and partake in what they've created. Uh, so interestingly, this has an interesting traditionally uh, wisdom. It's called discriminating awareness. 
This energy, because it wants to connect and merge, likes to be really close up to the world. It just likes the world to be right there in intimate moments. Absolutely special, unique moments. So it's very much about intimacy. And it has the sensibility to discriminate one thing from another. Like it, it really knows the essence of what an orange is, the essence of what an apple is, the essence of John versus the essence of Albert, you know? And so it navigates um, this very, um, um, this world full of a very sensitive sensibility. So they make great artists, uh, performers, as well as visual artists, uh, directors, you know, know that, you know, I worked with, an, when I, in my dance career, I was a ballet dancer for many, many years, and I worked with an incredible Anthony Tudor um, in one choreography, and he had, he spent more time on me, uh, with me, turning my head in a particular scenario than he did on the most difficult, challenging uh, uh, pirouette in attitude, you know, with my leg in the air. And he said, you know, it's how you turn your head is going to speak. Mm-hmm. So uh, Padma people have a great sense of the world speaking to them. And they... They, they, this is why they're great artists, because they, they, they take in the world. And they feel it fully. And, you know, I've been an artist all my life. And then you express it in your medium, whether it's dance or music or art or poetry. So it's that sense of total connection with the world and expressiveness. You want to express. You want to share. You want to share in intimate moments. So a lot of these, uh, the last two I've talked about, Ratna and Padma, are very connected with passion. Both of them are, are about uh, passion. And so they're talked about as the feminine, more feminine principles. Um, I'll, when I talk about the next one, I'll talk about the masculine principle. But they're often confused, Ratna and Padma, because they're all sort of wanting this connection. But I'll give you an example uh, a Ratna wants to host, you know, I, in my second book, I, I wrote characters, and my Ratna character in that book is Gabriella. And <laughs> she could have been an opera star, but she chose to live on a ranch with her horses and her family and five dogs, and, you know, that's Ratna. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she loves to host. Ten people at the table is about her style. Padma wants a dinner for two at a really romantic restaurant with candlelight and wine and just sharing intimacies. That's the difference in the expression of passion between Ratna and Padma. Mm -hmm. So you think Padma is this wonderful place. It's full of pleasure. And Padma people are very charismatic. And they're people, people, people love them, they love people, 
It's, it's pleasurable. It's, they create pleasurable situations. My, my son, who lives in California, where I live now too, um, is one of these Padma people. He's got all the energies, frankly, but his Padma, you know, uh, would, he would have, uh, I, I would visit him. I, I visited him once. This was before I lived there. And I, I, uh, I was on a Friday and um, I said, so what did you do last night? He, he said, I went to a party. And uh, I said, a party on a Thursday night? And he says, yeah, it's the new party night. Well, I say, what do you do on Friday and Saturday? Oh, those are party nights too. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like I'd get along with your son. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the way this one gets in trouble, gets into its stuck place, is that it doesn't have enough pleasure. It wants more and more pleasure. So getting into extreme states, you know, it, 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 it can be addictive, you know, um, drugs, alcohol. Uh, and when you don't have that, when you don't have your fix, I mean, my fix has always been the Dharma, so I'm safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Inexhaustible source. Inexhaustible source. Yeah, I picked yeah. a good one. Yeah. But if you don't have that, you get extremely depressed. And this one is, in my opinion, the one that's most probably could, could, could commit suicide, but you can't sort of do that really. Very depressed. Hmm. And you basically, if you don't have it, it's like your world that was so colorful all, all of a sudden goes black and white. Um, mm -hmm. the rug is pulled out from underneath you, you basically the fire goes out. Each of these, I, I'm not going to have time to get into all the elements they're associated with, but this one is associated with fire. And it's basically, if you don't have the Padma pleasure of your partner or your parties, a lot of people have suffered a lot during COVID because of not mm -hmm. enough partying, not enough personal contact in the flesh. I mean, right. this is great, but, you know, um, get, have gotten very depressed, have gotten into this sort of withdrawal, depression. And I've, you know, spoke to some of them, obviously. So, um, yeah, it, it just feels like a life is not worth living, basically. Mm. Yeah. How is, real quick, how is the Padma kind of craving different than the Ratna? Because I've always associated the neuronic of Ratna with kind of like the hungry ghost realm if we're transposing it over the wheel of life. And I've always heard that that's like the realm of like addiction. And how are those different? Well, um, I would say that both could get into addiction. Um, Ratna is the sense of not enough. So I, I want more and more. Padma is very specific. I want him. Hmm. I want that dress in the window. It's much gotcha. more um, personalized, you could say, um, or sp specific. Uh, let me see if I can. I think that's the basic difference. That sums it up pretty well. Yeah. Okay, let's go on to um, karma. Mm -hmm. the the fifth one and karma 
is um, this energy uh, that is about action and accomplishing. So it's uh, wisdom is all accomplishing action for the benefit of others. In other words, it's very specific that in its wisdom, it is about others. It's not about self-aggrandizement. And so people with a lot of this energy, um, they are um, have the right tools. They work in timely and appropriate ways. They have timelines. They know when to do things, when not to do things even. Um, when to uh, also to um, bring under their um, um, leadership uh, people who will help to make things happen. So they harness other people's energy in trying to make things happen. And where they get into trouble, into stuck place, is that they sense the ability to make things happen. They think they're the only ones that can really do the job. <laughs> and they are control freaks. They need to be in control. And they need to, to um, tell everyone else what to do because no one else really knows as well as they do that, that what's timely, what's efficient, what's going to get the job done, how to meet the deadline, etc. So they create um, wonderful situations to make something happen. But on the other hand, when they're stuck, they're confrontational. They're, as I said, they're controlling. So other people feel uh, could feel abused by them, like used. In fact, that's what they do. They use other people. And, and I'm talking about, you know, neurosis. We see this around us. Um, so it's very... Um, it, again, shuts off people from the flow. Yeah, what I really found powerful about this teaching uh, as I was going through it, and it was kind of the same with the Wheel of Life, is that this is honestly like a completely secular way to view the world. Like this doesn't really require any sort of mystical or metaphysical vision. Like when you really truly sit with this teaching and spend some time in like understanding each of these energies and feeling them, you can't not, you know, there's really no like arguing with it. Yep. You just start to see it and it's like... Yep. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Really well said. And that brings me back to absolute where we start when I do my trainings. And that's with the postures, the five postures that Trungpa Rinpoche devised with senior, senior students of his in the early 70s. I wasn't there at the time, but I've read all the transcripts and listened to what was being said and blah, blah, blah. And it's there in my books, all that information. Um, but each of the posture basically evokes the energy in both its shine and its stuck. 
And when, I mean, again, you know, traditional Buddhism has a lot of um, uh, baggage, you could say. And I don't mean to be, uh, you know, um, using a, that in a negative way necessarily. But you need to know, um, to do a traditional Buddhist uh, uh, Vajrayana tantric, you need to know the liturgy inside out. You need to know the iconography, the meaning of each of the symbols, like in the, in the tanka back here. You know, what do all those symbols mean? What, are the, what is the deity um, expressing there? You need to know mantras. You need to know hand mudras or gestures. Um, there's a lot of what I consider um, veils to go through to get traditional Buddhist, tantric Buddhist teachings. The power of five wisdoms teachings is that you take the posture, and I do this online too. I mean, people practice at home. They get the glasses. We, we produce the glasses and send them out to people um, because they're done in a posture with, a colored, with colored glasses. And the, mm -hmm. the combination of the color and the posture is what evokes these energies. Yeah? And you have immediate experience in your body, in your emotions, um, your breathing could change, your, I, your thoughts change. And I, I call it, you know, like dipping people in different colors. And so, woo, what did you come out today? <laughs> you know? yeah, I love that. Yeah, and, and it's very, very powerful. I mean, I, whether I do um, on-site training or online training, people come out. This is what is so magical. People come out with textbook descriptions of their experience of being in each color, each energy. Wow. Whoa. There is and some... It lines up. It lines up. I mean, I'm not saying everyone every time, but enough to make me go, oh, wow, each time. Like, you know, I'm yeah. just in the process of finishing module one, and that's what's happening, you know. Um, I get together with them, and I say, okay, describe your experience. And the power of the group is they learned that in that particular energy... There's a whole world of possibility. Why? Because you bring your however many years of being who you are into the posture. So if you're somebody that says, has a lot of Vajra in you, okay, to speak the language, if you have a lot of Vajra in you and you're in the Padma pose posture, you have a different mix of experience than if someone who is in say, very, has a lot of Buddha, very spacious, and does the Padma pose. Very different experiences. So um, I think it's time to say at this point what the fruition of this uh, work is, this, these teachings, this practice, is that you have, even though it might not be so familiar to you in the beginning, you gain a familiarity, a deep uh, psychophysical familiarity with each of the energies. 
and you know where your shine is with them and where you get stuck. Not only that, but you know when you meet Jim Smith, oh, he's very Vajra, so he's going to be shining here, but I bet he's going to get stuck there. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so you have, you know, you have a way of navigating relationships. Um, so the fruition is to have what I call five gears and not wisdom gears. So you're not going into the world with your um, personal agenda, which could be, you know, a little confused, etc. But you have the um, five wisdoms within you and you meet every situation with whatever wisdom is needed mm. yeah or combinations of wisdoms like you go uh, you're late to catch your plane you go into karma energy you know calm mind but you speed you daughter comes home from school and she's crying embrace her with ratna padma just hold her um you know so you have this full spectrum of energetic wisdom to meet the situations and it takes you out of self-referencing ego that's mm. the fruition of this uh, working with the five wisdoms that is a absolutely beautiful way of saying that <laughs> yeah um so what happens if you're going through life and you realize that you're operating out of like a more closed down self-referential point? Is this something we should push away against? I mean, nobody likes to be uncomfortable. So what do we do when we're like, oh, we're like locked in? Yeah. Like how do you navigate that dance? Yeah, good question, which brings me to the next um, topic. We talked about personalities and this one's about emotions and transmutation. Transmutation is not turning apples into oranges. Transmutation, uh, and this is Trungpa Rinpoche's word, is getting to the essence, the pure essence of an orange, the pure essence of an apple. So you take a, an emotional upheaval and you do not, emotions in this tantric way, you do not push away. You learn to stay with, hold, be with, feel it in your body, feeling how your breathing is. And you, at some point, it melts. And that melting is because of this magical word called Maitri. Maitri is unconditional loving kindness towards whatever arises. And in my book, um, I unpack that word. It's a matter of accommodation. It's a matter of it being familiar. Oh, yeah, I've been here forever. You know, every time, you know, he says this, I go to this place, you know, so it's familiarity. And, and um, psychophysically, there's a sense of melting. It's warm, melting energy. That's Maitri. Mm -hmm. I'm describing a few of the aspects of Maitri. Real quick, before we go on, is there a chance that somebody could maybe use that as a means of spiritually bypassing 
where like oh, I have this emotion, I'm gonna love it, you know, and then they like <laughs> use that as a means to like like there's like a level of subtlety there, right? Well, uh, spiritual bypassing is, I feel, one of the things that is doing this work protects us against because. Um, you know, I was talking about how when you're doing traditional practice, you can get into, uh, you know, visualizing the deity, etc., and, and, and you get into this whole realm of sort of religiosity and spirituality. The thing about working with the postures is that it really works with the nitty-gritty of who you are. Mm. And so it's, it's, it's very precisely not about getting caught up in spiritual bypassing. Um, and Maitri um, is brought into this equation of working with shine and stuck because it is the catalyst which turns stuck into shine. The same energy has its both its stuck place and its shine place, and if you if you embrace that particular energy, whether it's vajra, you know vajra, say anger, whether it's anger or passion or jealousy, if you stay with it, it you you come into the wisdom of that energy. Now I'm putting this in a very short way. This is actually a training that I do. And um, I give an example of transmutation in, uh, in, at the end of one of my chapters in my, my first book. But it shouldn't really be done alone unless you have a lot of practice stability. So transmutation is really something that uh, is best done when you um, are in a training with a authorized trainer. Okay. Is there anything that folks can do at home who this may be the first time they've heard anything about Buddhism and they're like, I'm really resonating with this, but like, how can I kind of train myself to be able to like connect more deeply with these energies outside? I mean, taking the training, of course, but is there something like by the end of today they could do to like kind of get more of a tactile sense of what's going on here? Uh, sure. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I would say read my first book first. Um, the first book was to make it just accessible uh, to anybody, uh, whether you give it as a Christmas gift to your grandmother or you give it to a colleague or your child. My children grew up on the five wisdoms. <laughs> and we, we speak the language. We know, mm -hmm. you know, we, we speak, I'm, you know, we, we speak the language. Um, so reading my first book, the second book is more about how it's applied, how the five wisdoms are applied in the world. And I use most of that material for um, the professional development training I do. Um, the other thing is going on to my website. There's a lot of description uh, if you go to the Five Wisdoms page, there's a description of each page there. Uh, it's This this um, website is beautiful. I don't know. Have, you've seen it, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it was done great. by a friend of mine, and it's just a magical website because there's so much color in it. And um, 
let's see, uh, yeah, and, and it's got lots of, aside from my books, there's lots of articles and some interviews I've done, um, lots of stuff that you can zero in on what different things I've said at different times. There's videos. Um, what else? Um, yeah. Uh, oh, and then there's graphics. The Natural Brilliance book had a lot of graphics, and they didn't put it in the book because too expensive. So mm-hmm. I put them online. So if you go to the natural, if you go to books and go to Natural Brilliance, and then go to the online graphics, um, um, I have a whole keynote. Um, you know, old name PowerPoint um, on. I, I think I have like 40 slides, you know, keynote mm-hmm. slides, again, done by my friend Dave Zahn, uh, working with me about different aspects. Um, and those are part of my training. My trainings right. have 30 to 50 page workbooks that go with the workbooks. So they have online sessions with me. They have what I call reflection circles where I get out of the way and they get peer-level communication, help to create a community. Um, I now have mentors that work with the reflection circles who sort of over, you know, facilitate them and then give me feedback about what's going on. Um, yeah, so there's the training is very rich. To you know, <laughs> if, if someone's really interested, I would recommend signing up for a, a training. Um, and, and, and just to get going, I'd say my books, my articles, my blogs, my videos, um, yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right. Yeah. Where would you say that meditation comes into this? I mean, I learned about it through meditation, you know, Mm -hmm. for me, that was kind of what, like, I don't know if without the meditative work that I've been doing, I'm just like awareness training and doing like the open technique uh, that Trungpa Rinpoche shared with us, you know, like that for me is really what gave me this sense of like grounding in the present moment that I started to like see the flittering of these energies. Do you think that that's a crucial part? Crucial. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Sitting meditation is the sixth posture or the first posture, the baseline posture. These basically um, to what sitting meditation does is that um, mindfulness, the mindfulness aspect is to calm and tame and settle. The awareness aspect, and you know, in, in our tradition, we do both. We do mindfulness and awareness. And the awareness is to lift the gaze and to be able to take in whatever's happening. Mm-hmm. So that that is the absolutely is always done in conjunction with the postures. Um, like <clears throat> I assign people to do like 20 minutes of sitting, 20 minutes of the postures, another 10 minutes of sitting, or what we call aimless wandering, which is getting into your world. And, oh, my world's uh, different today. I just got dipped in red. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So it's, yes, and, it, and the more people have with coming to some sense of stability in their sitting practice, the more the energies are going to um, resonate with them in their wisdom. If there isn't enough, you know, stability, in other words, by that I mean there's 
a lot of confusion, etc. People uh, have it in their body and can't sit still, or you know, blah blah blah. Uh, then the the uh, stuck part of the energies is more likely to arise. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I think it's so important. I'm glad that you spent some time talking about like the training. I think something a lot of people in my generation have kind of an aversion to teachers. There's kind of this like free for all spiritual marketplace that's going on right now. And everybody's really attached to the idea like you are your own guru. So we don't need teachers. And like, I agree to a degree that like, yeah, you are your own guru. But if you don't have like the guidance, especially for these very subtle and nuanced practices, like these things have been baking for 1000s of years. And in order to like really navigate it, like you need a teacher, you need to be plugging into these trainings. And that's something I realized working with David. So I guess I just want to encourage listeners as we're talking about this, like, if you really want to tap into this, you got to get a teacher. Yeah. And I think, I think the other thing that I would say is that my trainings are very person centered. You know, I, everything I do online in this, in the sessions, the hour and a half sessions with me are in, is interactive. I don't download knowledge. Mm. That's why I say I write books and create uh, workbooks so that the, the sort of the didactic aspect, people can read and they can read in their own time to some extent. And then it's, it's engaging with people. And frankly, that, you know, I've been teaching this, guiding people with this for over 30 years now. And what makes it still so vital for me is that it's all about the people. It's all yeah. about who you are. And I am fascinated with who you are. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it, I'm reading through uh, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. I know you brought that up as the first book. And I reread the chapter on initiation where I think the the phrase is Abhisheka. Abhisheka. Is that mm -hmm. yep. Abhisheka. And it's like that the meeting of minds, you know. Yeah. And I think that that is, for this specific lineage, it's just so important. Like, I've been practicing spirituality or kind of studying Buddhism through like Alan Watts and Ram Dass. And it wasn't until I started meeting minds with people who've actually done the work that I was like, oh, I don't know anything, <laughs> <laughs> which is such an important space to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well said. And I also really believe in the inner guru. You know, yeah. I, I, I basically, I mean, the Buddha said, don't believe anything until you experience it yourself. And yeah. that's from the Buddha, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, right. So, and, and, and someone said recently that I want a teacher. Uh, what, can I remember this? Uh, have a teacher. Let me see if I can find it. Have a teacher who, uh, have devotion to a teacher who tells you to rely on yourself. I love that. Mm -hmm. Have, yeah. you know, be with a teacher who tells you to rely on yourself. And Trungpa Rinpoche did that, you know. I mean, he, he, um, he brought Westerners into, um, you know, places that traditional Buddhist teachers just never thought we would go. <laughs> but we can do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting with his style is that, like, 
that you called them like the veils earlier they had like these very like specific things you needed to do but his approach really felt like it was like kind of open source and that like anyone can do this and you don't need to be a buddhist in order to like really step on this path and to me like that kind of freedom it, it I think it's a testament to the integrity of the teachings and his heart. And I think it's honestly like maybe more true to like the, the Buddhist teachings, you know, he wasn't trying to turn people into Buddhists. He was trying to help people become awake, you know? Exactly. And... Exactly. He, he even said something. He said, I came to the West, not as an ambassador from the East, something like this, but as a mm -hmm. human being. He wanted yeah. to be a human being. And, you know, there's amazing stories of, of the first years. Like he was, um, he was uh, this group of hippies. They called themselves the pygmies, got enamored with him. <laughs> and um, they, um, they would, there's this land up in the Rocky Mountains above uh, north of Boulder, Colorado. And they would go there and uh, have parties and, you know, and, and drink beer on the dirt floor and uh, watch television or something like I think, yeah, there was a television there. And then they put a cloth over the television and it would be the shrine. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and he, he just like totally just got down and dirty with them, you know, wow. just human to human. And that was, he turned a lot of people on that way because he was just a person. And, and that's what I, you know, that's what I like. Of course, I, to compare, my, compare myself to a Rinpoche is, is pretentious, but the, the, the message of just be who you are. In fact, yeah. he said, be who you are again and again and again. I ramped that up a bit. I said, be the best of who you are. In other words, be your shine. Yeah. Then there's Oscar yeah. Wilde, he said, who says, be who, be who you are. Everyone else is taken. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, before we go, because we are at an hour and I want to respect your time, I just, I had this sensation to ask, like, do you feel like a sense of responsibility as like a steward of these teachings? Because in the West, these are not really getting talked about at all. And like I said, these are thousands of years old. And, you know, like, do you kind of feel like maybe like one of the last bastions for this? <laughs> I definitely feel like a steward, and in, in terms of, you know, it's called Samaya. There's a commitment I have to doing this, and, you know, um, I, I am, I feel really strongly that these are extremely powerful teachings that needs to get out in the world more, and I'm doing my little, my, my very little bit, and I'm training teachers too at this you know I've been training teachers for ages but there's just it's not enough in the world and everything that we can do to make that happen would be, be better because see I think a lot of people have seen or some people have seen the five wisdoms or the five Buddha families that is the more traditional name as maybe not quite Buddhism and the, my next book, the book I'm working on, on um, tentative title is The Five Wisdoms of Tantric Buddhism. I'm going to show how absolutely at the heart of Tantric Buddhism these teachings are. 
They're just inseparable from tantric, tantric Buddhism. And hopefully maybe more people will go, oh, right? Okay. <laughs> but they're very, you know, doing the postures is challenging. You know, it's a challenging practice. It really digs up your stuff. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily want to go there. Well, that's exactly where we need to go. So yep, we don't want absolutely. to. Absolutely. <laughs> My bottom line Wonderful. is the reason we're having so much trouble in the world is because everybody hasn't done a five wisdoms training. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I think if more people understood this, there would be less fighting. That's the one thing I noticed is I started I stopped taking things as personal. Yep. And I stopped being as critical of other people because I'm able to recognize yep. the energy that they're yep. emanating and then it's like, yep. oh, that's just they're their karma energy is getting stuck and like that's just their energy and like I can respond to my with my own you know and that yeah. was really the biggest takeaway for me is like yeah and not I only didn't... is my scent sorry what I'm sorry to interrupt but what I didn't say about the masculine energy or Vajra and karma are more masculine it doesn't mean that they're in men but they're masculine mm -hmm. principle and we're dominated by a masculine energy in our society yeah. worldwide so yeah. it, it's created a tremendous amount of suffering having that much masculine energy in our world do you think that might be why i feel like in the west there is a lot of the closed off padma and ratna do you think it's because we have so much masculine that mm -hmm. the feminine gets kind of it responds by contracting maybe yeah women get denigrated and uh, treated as prostitutes and lesser beings i mean it's just you know <laughs> historically yeah. what has happened so there's a lot more to say about this but yeah i'm doing a, <laughs> a training um in um at dorje denmaling in nova scotia a week-long training which is a it's a hybrid it'll be online too um about the masculine and feminine energies in the five wisdoms mandala wow that's powerful yeah awesome well Irini, thank you so much. Like genuinely, this was an honor. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, where can people find you? How can they get connected deeper with these trainings? Go to my website and um, contact me. Is you know if they want to contact me personally. Yep, okay. I'm basic. And that's IreneRockwell.com. No, five wisdom. Sorry, five wisdoms oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And. I'll have those links in all the descriptions for people. Yeah, as five well. wisdoms. So I just wanted to. Yeah, fivewisdomsinstitute.com. Contact me. There's an application form for the training. You know, yeah. Wonderful. Great. Awesome. Thank you again. Thank you, Brett. Hope you and uh, be well. Good work. You too. You too. Good work. Thanks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bye. Okay. All right, friends, that was the episode. Thank you so, so, so much for listening all the way through till the end. It really does mean a lot to me that you're showing up and putting some time in and sharing this space with me and my guests because uh, I'm really passionate about all the things these people are bringing to the table, and I want to share that passion. That was Irene Rockwell. You can check her out at thefivewisdomsinstitute.com. We talked a bit about her training there, and I definitely suggest uh, if you are interested, if this sparked a resonance within you, to check her out. Uh, she's very accessible, and uh, you can even start by just getting one of her books. Um, some links will be down in the descriptions below if you're on the YouTube or the website. 
um, yeah, that'll be down below. The website is 21stCenturyVitalism.com. If you haven't checked it out yet, we got brand new, super shiny, uh, really crisp, good graphics done from uh, the Gallery Society out of Detroit. Really happy with how that all turned out. Um, and yeah, if you want to be joining us in two weeks, we have Russell Stultzer coming on to talk about rolfing, aka structural integration. He's been a practitioner for the past 30-something years and uh, is on the executive board of education for the Rolfing Institute. He is uh, really awesome. I actually just got done talking with him uh, before pre preparing this, and I really like that conversation too. And at the start of this, I was like, yeah, this is my favorite, but I'm realizing that every conversation is my favorite. So if you want to support the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, subscribe on YouTube, like, comment, do all that stuff, any interaction. Uh, it really, really helps. Um, I don't know where that, that Kermit the Voice, uh, Kermit the Frog voice came from, but it really does help. So like us on Instagram, Facebook, um, share it with your friends. If you find an episode that you think will benefit somebody else's current uh, happenstance, then uh, yeah, uh, share it along. Uh, there's a lot of variety. So uh, if you haven't, if you're just tuning in for the first time now, go check out some older episodes. Uh, everyone is fairly different from a very different perspective, but it all has to do with this idea of becoming fully alive right here, right now. So, all right. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day.